Marini's Media. This news just in, listeners. The Athletic is extending its £1 a month offer for all new subscribers, meaning you can get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a brand new breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts for just a quid. This deal won't last forever, though, so don't miss out. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, wait till soon as here's what those Latins have got up to this time as we discuss the Juventus-Napoli affair, the Champions League draw, Barcelona, Robert Lewandowski's red-hot poker, Basak Shahir from Turkey's number one to number one Turkey's transfers, plus Nations League with games suspended and players going viral like that Fleetwood Mac Dreams video. Perfect time to send them flying around the world. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Tuesday 6th of October, listener, and yes, I am excited because joining me today on the Totally Football Show European Edition are Alvaro Romeo, hola. Hola, que tal? Bonjour, Julien Laurence. Bonjour, everyone. All right, then. And uh, guten tag, Raphael Honigstein. Hello, good morning. <laughs> wow. Just the delay kills me. And uh, James Horncastle, Hello. Hello. <laughs> nice. It's, uh, as I say, Tuesday, 6th of October, which means that yesterday the transfer window closed. So many big stories. Cavani going to Man United, Thomas Partey to Arsenal, and Gunnosaurus, uh, the subject of a transfer battle between several European clubs, stepping in to save the much-loved Emirates icon, Jules. It, yeah, he, he's not going anywhere. I mean, he's, one, he's not for sale to start with, so he can't be, he can't be transferred. <laughs> but they cancelled his and, contract. And he's he's on a bondsman. Well, not the mascot itself, you know, so the mascot will be back when fans are back. Is this uh, one of those deals where image rights basically stops? <laughs> <laughs> stops Kalasaurus. Yeah, he wanted 50%. The club was only ready to allow 25% image rights. There's, there's a lot of money at stake there, so... But we will see Gunnosaurus back at Emirates and doing all his community work. Don't worry. Okay. I, ha- I hope that he can at least explain himself because once in the mixtone at the Emirates, I saw mm, someone from Arsenal saying that the, the mascot, Gunnosaurus, doesn't give interviews to press. I'm not sure dinosaurs how much they can talk, Alvaro. Mm, I think that the person inside knows how to speak. Okay. All right. Well, so... Um, <laughs> Um, aside from the fact that I thought it was really touching how many major European clubs and players uh, w- w- wanted to kind of send messages of support for the iconic figure. Um, wh- what about those other uh, stories that I-, I mentioned relating to the the Premier League? Uh, Edison Cavani to United, is he going to be the new Radamel Falcao? Or the new Zlatan Ibrahimovic? I mean, it's one of the two, to be fair. It's either... Uh, he's successful, at least like Ibra is in his first season, uh, or or he's not like Falcao in that dreadful loan. What six years ago it was? He hasn't played football since February. hasn't even trained with a with a you know with a proper squad with a proper team since February. He's been keeping fit and staying fit, but on his own in Uruguay first, and then and then in Paris for the last few weeks. So I don't know how long he will need to train with the team. Uh, to get back to that proper match fitness uh, condition. 
But but then he obviously is still a, good, a very good player. Even at 33, he will score goals if he gets the service. He's very different to Zlatan Ibrahimovic, for example, in the sense that he can't make things happen on his own by himself. He's still very dependent on the rest of the team. And if, if that team is not doing well uh, or not giving him that service, he would be a bit useless, as we've seen many times with PSG, especially in those big games where they were not having much of the ball. He doesn't link up the play. He, he doesn't really take part in in the way your team is playing. You know, he's not that kind of striker at all. He's just a poacher. He's a finisher, a great one, and a lot of one-touch finishes, but not, he doesn't really, you know, he doesn't drop deeper. He's not, he can't do what Harry Kane does, for example, as a centre-forward. So, it's, I think he'll be very dependent on the rest of the team, but of course, it's, um, it could be a good move if he starts scoring goals, and if he's on a run, on a roll, then he would be very, very dangerous for all the oppositions. Jules, would you agree that Bayern Munich have in fact signed the best of all PSG strikers in this window, <laughs> uh, bringing in uh, Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting, uh, fresh from the benches to be on the Bayern bench? I think it's a great, great transfer. His natural position will be will be available again. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, between Bunassar from Marseille, who I had a few messages from people saying WTF is Bunassar. And Chupo Moting, I mean, it's, it's, it's brilliant from Bayern. I think, listen, he's Don't the nicest Douglas guy. Don't forget Douglas Costa as well. Don't forget and Douglas, Douglas Costa. And Douglas Costa, of course, back, yeah. Back in Sebenestrasse. But Buna, just, just on Chupo quickly, he's, he's such a nice guy, I think, to have in your dressing room that I, I don't know how many goals he will score. I don't know how much he will play. I don't, think you, I don't think you take many risks by hiring him, you know, and bring him into your squads. So, so Sa is non, non, non buono? No, bueno. no, he's bueno. He's Buna. He's a, he's a right winger who had been turned right back by AVB in Marseille. He had a great season last year. You have to give him that. He even at the time believed or was hoping that he could be called up with the national team uh, by, by Deschamps. Didn't happen or hasn't happened yet. It's just maybe it's not for a lot of people the kind of names you associate with the European champions and, and Bayern Munich. You know, uh, even at even at right back, even to be a number two or maybe even a number three in the right back position. But uh, it's a fascinating story. Someone who was released by Lyon at 17 from the academy, for example, who Lyon didn't think he was good enough. Then he had to go, then it was a bit difficult for him and went to Metz, for example, and, and really played well there. And then that move for Marseille was a big surprise, a bit like the move for Bayern Munich. But I just like the fact that he goes from step, you know, step high and step higher and step higher. But for someone who at 17 almost was done for football, I think it's an amazing story. It certainly is. What, what about Thomas Partey briefly? Uh, is that a transformative signing for Arsenal, Alvaro? Potentially. I think that this guy has a lot of uh, great um, things that he can put into practice on the pitch. Uh, he carries the ball really well. And at the same time, he holds the ball fantastically. Uh, his uh, deep pass is really good. And uh, if he plays deep where Granit Xhaka does play, and uh, with the permission that Granit Xhaka has now to go up and try to score goals as well, I think that Thomas Partey can even do that job that Granit Xhaka has now better. So I believe that Atletico Madrid has lost one of the key players they had and Arsenal has done a great addition to the team because it's not only the physicality that you could say, okay, yeah, Thomas is a holding defender, therefore he will bring just physicality and not much more. Actually, he was the best midfielder in Atletico de Madrid in terms of creativity and passing ranges. And I believe that Arsenal will benefit tremendously from him. You just have to put the highlights of uh, the game in Anfield against Liverpool to understand that he was the only player at Atletico de Madrid that when he was getting the ball, that ball didn't burn 
at his feet. He could hold it, he was happy to keep it, and uh, yeah, as I said before, I mean, uh, for many reasons, uh, Thomas Partey is going to become probably the most important midfielder at Arsenal, uh, at least in the defensive department, and uh, his partnership with Danny Ceballos can be really, really good. Excellent. Okay, I'd like to go without him. Held to a nil-nil draw by Unai Emery's Villarreal uh, this weekend. Well, much to discuss today. Since our last show, there was also the Champions League and Europa League draws. We'll touch on those. Maybe a little look forward to the Nations League. But we're going to begin with Sunday night's Juventus-Napoli, which Napoli didn't turn up for. Not like Man United and Liverpool didn't turn up. They genuinely never made the journey. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. So, you're Napoli. You played Genoa, you beat them. Genoa then reveal a mass of positives. We're now over 20 positives, in fact, from the, uh, from the side uh, from Liguria. Napoli, as a result, go into isolation, seek advice from their local health authority who say for them to go to their next game, which is Sunday night away in Turin, would be illegal. The Liga say that the game should go ahead and Juve drive to the stadium and stand there ready, but Napoli never show, and there are many threats of a 3-0 victory being awarded to Juve. James, what's the situation now? <laughs> well, there's a standoff uh, going on. Napoli at the moment are preparing their defence. Um, they say that um, while they weren't forbidden uh, to travel, um, how should they be expected um, to travel from Naples to Turin uh, to play this game when they had been recommended um, to go into to isolation. Um, I suppose all of this is a domino effect from what happened last week. You referenced the, the Genoa-Napoli game. Um, Genoa had two positive cases before that game. Mattia Perin, the goalkeeper, Lasse Shona, the midfield player, they were isolated and as per the protocol, the team was was then tested. Everyone tested negative um, and they flew to Naples to play in the game. Got beat 6-0 and then they came back. And this is the kind of mystery as to really what happened because when Genoa came back, essentially drips and drabs, more or less everybody tested positive. 22 people tested positive over the course of that week. Napoli had a round of tests as well. And initially, they all came back negative. And now I think on Thursday, Peter Zielinski, their midfielder, he tested positive. The following day, Friday, Elfmir Elmas tested positive. And what should happen in this case is that um, those players should have been isolated and the team goes into a bubble, uh, essentially, uh, where they are all tested. And uh, as long as all the protocol is followed, then that team should be allowed to travel and play the game, as has happened in other games in Serie A so far this season. For example, when Milan went to play Crotone and they had Zlatan, who tested positive for, for COVID, um, Duarte, who tested positive for COVID. There is a protocol in place that uh, basically establishes a threshold for how many um, positives a team can basically sustain before a game gets postponed. I think one of the, the interesting things were loopholes were found in this protocol whereby Serie A hadn't fallen into line with UEFA, where UEFA basically was saying, look, if you have 13 positive tests, um, then you have to request to the, to the league for the game to be postponed. And everyone has like a get out of COVID free card, which they can play just once mm. and then get the, get the game moved. Juventus 
the position that they seem to have taken uh, from listening to Andrea Agnelli on Sunday night was that um, we had two positive tests at Juventus um, which weren't part of our playing staff or coaching staff, but we went into voluntary isolation anyway. We went into our hotel, the J Hotel, which is more or less adjacent to the Juventus Stadium. And we then went under testing again the following morning. Everyone came back negative. We could play the game. And there was a sense that Napoli did not go into isolation as quickly as they should have done after the initial positive tests of Zielinski and then El, uh, Elfmeet Elmas which is one of the reasons why the local health authority, it is claimed, um, basically said in, said, came out and said, These, this, this number of people has to go into isolation. Um, Napoli are currently carrying out works on the hotel or the lodgings that they have next to their training ground so that in the case this happens, basically all the players and the coaching staff affected can go uh, into that safe space, that bubble, if you like. So that, I think, is the bone of contention as to who was best prepared for this scenario. Because, again, from listening to Andrea Agnelli, it was like, we anticipated this would happen and we were prepared for it. We're Napoli. I think that's the that is that's what's come out of this. I think Napoli feel that this is unfair, that they were um, simply abiding by um, the, the, the local authority. And ultimately... In the protocol, as laid out by Serie A, it does say that um, your region and the national government, you know, they can overrule mm. our protocol in the interests of public health. So you have this clash between league and state, essentially. Right. Which is a battle that we may see played out increasingly as this season progresses, not just in Italy. So a lot of interest, I think, and not just from a sporting point of view about what the decision is going to be. They were going to take... Uh, a view on whether to award the game to Juventus today, Tuesday, but that's now been kicked down the road a little bit while they investigate what actually the local authorities said to Napoli. But uh, I can understand Juve's position, uh, but uh, I think most people would be horrified to see this game awarded 3-0 to Juventus under these circumstances. Well, Agnelli said you know, he wants... Uh, the game to be played, or he, he would rather to win on the pitch than to be basically given a 3-0 win um, by a, a sporting tribunal. Juventus, the perception of how they acted um, over the course of what those 24 hours was seen as pretty classless um, in that they put out their starting 11. They, uh, they turned up for the game on the team bus. Um, they did their walk around. Um, they were just following everything to the letter of the law. And I suppose, you know, what is the spirit of the law here? You have unprecedented circumstances around us. Um, and, uh, you know, can you not maybe show a little bit more empathy and understanding towards the situation that Napoli have found themselves in? Mm. Um, I think as much as there is an investigation going on at the moment as to, you know, what happened at Napoli after the Zielinski positive test, there needs to be an investigation as to what happened at Genoa as well, surely, because um, for two players to test positive, be isolated, everyone else tests negative, they fly for the game, come back, and then everybody comes back positive, more or less everybody. You know, what happened there? Was there a breach of protocol uh, there? Was the testing carried out correctly? 
obviously there are so many variables anyway in terms of false negatives all these things that we've learned about COVID-19 in its incubation period over the last few few months um, but I think an investigation needs to, to to be carried out there as well because as you say this this could have really worrying ramifications I think this is one of the, the other reasons the events took the stand that they did is that uh, this sets a very uh, major precedent, I think, in that um, if we're, we're getting to a position where, where one or two positive tests leads to a fear that there will be inevitably 5, 10, 15, then it's going to be very hard for the league to move forward constantly without regular postponements. Mm-hmm. A precedent with COVID, not the first one of those we've had this week. <laughs> a little bit of topicality there. Uh, well... Uh, more on that story uh, when we get it. Uh, meanwhile, a quick word on those two teams' transfer business. Napoli finishing off the transfer window uh, with Bakayoko joining them in place of uh, uh, Alan. And uh, Federico Chiesa making the move from Florence to Turin uh, to join Juventus. Your thoughts? <laughs> Well, I've just seen the banner that the Fiorentina Ultras um, unfurled outside of the Artemio Franchi last night, which says, um, betraying those who raised and protected you is the biggest lack of respect that you can give. Florence is is no longer your home. Is it Bajo-esque, the reaction? No, because I think uh, the the, the big difference here is that Chiesa wanted to go. Chiesa has wanted to leave Florence for Juventus uh, for the last year. They already had an agreement in place um, last summer, um, but there was a change of ownership and the new owners, Rocco Camiso, he did not want to basically come in and within a week sell their perceived best player. Mm. Um, But I think this is going to be an interesting one. Obviously, uh, Juventus are going to loan him for a couple of years. Three million they'll pay for him this year. Then I think seven million the next year. And then add on another 40 million. So in total, it's 50 million. I think that the bigger question here is Federico Chiesa really worth 50 million. Um, Mm. I think since lockdown, playing as a wing back, he's been back to his very best. Um, Yeah, I think he's scored. He's been involved in nine goals in his last 10 games. Um, But is he a transformative player in the way that uh, you look at some of the other deals done for wingers around Europe? I mean, Leroy Sané's circumstances are a little bit different because I think what he was into in the final year of his deal, but he cost less. Uh, Diego Jota uh, cost less. There are lots of players who I think uh, have done more than Keza and have cost less. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested to see how it plays out. But Juventus, well, the old lady, as the um, as Gazetta put it today, has become you know, very much the young lady. Young uh, lady. In this transfer nice. Well, if Keza makes their UEFA list... He'll be featuring in their Champions League action, which sees Juventus pitted in a group with Dinamo Kiev, Ferenc Varos and Barcelona. Woof. We'll be talking about Barcelona and that group next. We know everyone thinks this season is going to be different, but at Paddy Power, we're staying positive because isn't the new normal just the same old football? Avoid unnecessary journeys. That's Fulham's trip to Anfield off. Self-isolate? Some strikers do that very effectively already. You see? New normal, same old football. And that's why if one leg of your four-plus-fold Acker lets you down, you get your money back as a free bet on all football matches and all markets. The Acker Cracker from Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1-5 to five on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply. 18plusbegambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. 
Much excitement, listener, over the Champions League draw last week uh, with, amongst other delights, the prospect of Messi and Ronaldo going head-to-head in the group stages of the competition for the first time ever. Group G featuring Juventus, Barcelona, Dinamo Kiev and Ferenc Varos, managed by Sergi Rebrov. Hmm? Uh, group G, by the way, has never produced a Champions League winner. Alvaro, what's the reaction been in Spain and also to Barcelona's 1-1 draw with Sevilla at the weekend, which raised one or two questions about how they're lining up under Ronald Koeman? Yeah, I think that there was more reaction about the sportive performance rather than uh, about uh, being lined up with Juventus in the Champions League. Yes, we all know about the Messi and Ronaldo history. It goes a long way back. And uh, the truth is that uh, Barcelona... Who's better, mean, though? Who's better, Alvaro? Mm, <laughs> do, do, you, do you want uh, to open, the, to open no. this uh, bottle? All right. No. Uh, well... Uh, Lionel Messi, for me, is better. But when it comes to who is able to win more games on his own, then I've got my doubts. And maybe sometimes Ooh. that makes it... Um, yeah, that's what I have to say. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yes, basically, uh, Barcelona played against um, Celta in midweek, then they played against Sevilla. It was the be- the, the biggest test so far for uh, Ronald Koeman's Barcelona. And uh, you could see that uh, Sevilla is a team that is uh, completed and... Uh, uh, Polished in a way. I mean, they've done everything they needed to do uh, to become what they are. And Barcelona is still work in progress. So I believe that uh, the draw is kind of all right for Barcelona, considering that uh, they lost against Bayern in a top tire 8-2 two, two months ago. Then Sevilla draws with Bayern and, you know, in, in 90 minutes. And then you play a team like Sevilla and you manage to get a draw. It's kind of all right. I mean, it's definitely... It definitely says that Barcelona is working in the right direction. And I think that uh, what happened last Sunday is that uh, we got to know that Barcelona lost two points, but at the same time, they gained two players because Serginho Dest uh, played uh, 20 minutes on the left and he played really well. And Araujo, the third centre-back of the team, uh, he proved that he, he is Barcelona level. I mean, he, he managed to... to to a step on the on the shoes of uh, Lenglet, and he did a very good game. And the only negative thing, and uh, this is something that we have to start putting on the player's plate and not on the system, is Antoine Griezmann not having any sort of impact in Barcelona. I mean, again, he was very poor. He was working a lot. And the other day I was seeing a graphic that explained how many passes Antoine Griezmann was the target of and he is one of the less targeted players by his own teammates I think that there is nothing against him but he is definitely a player that uh, don't get understood in Barcelona system his runs are never seen and this is something that Barcelona has to work on very quickly because otherwise Dembele if he's fit or Trincao who happens to be playing quite all right uh, can take his place very soon Okay, the goal is coming from uh, De Jong not that one it was uh, Sevilla's Luke De Jong uh, then about a couple of minutes later, Coutinho popping up uh, after uh, a to Messi's pass. Fernando, la mueve Messi, quiere llegar. Ahí queda suelta para el empate. El regalo porque llegaba en su fati por el costado derecho, cortó ese avance. Navas no despejó bien, le quedó franca. Regalada Coutinho y en apenas segundos después del gol del Sevilla llega el empate. Should we have a quick word, Jules, about uh, Jules Koundé? Yeah, incredible. I thought he was fantastic in that game. Uh, I mean, there's no surprise there because he was already so good last year. I think what's surprising is that I don't think him or Monchi or Lopetegui or anyone else, when they signed him from Bordeaux a year ago, 
or just above uh, over a year ago, could have thought that he would become that good, I think, because he always had potential in France and he was very good with Bordeaux. But to go from that to the kind of level that we see him playing now uh, in that game against Barcelona, against Bayern Munich, um, a few days, like five days before, four days before, it's pretty remarkable, I think, and it's credit to him and his talent, of course, and how much he's worked. But also, I think, to Lopetegui and to all the staff and the people at Sevilla to have also given him all the tools to improve the way he has. And I, I think it's, it's, it's just a matter of time before he makes his debut for the national team. And I'm, I'm actually a bit baffled by Manchester City's um, behaviour, attitude, in the sense that you make, a, you make a move for him, you make a first offer, and then you don't follow it up once your first offer is rejected. And instead, you go and buy Ruben Diaz, who for me um, is not as good as Jules Koundé. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Wow. It has to be said, James, that uh, Jules Koundé played uh, fantastically the other day. I mean, his stats are there. He touched the ball 92 times at Camp Nou. Yeah, that's the most of any visiting centre-back at Camp Nou in the Liga since Optus started recording these stats. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's quite good for France that now that uh, Untiti's knee seems to be gone, unfortunately, uh, they've got a centre-back like Kunde there that uh, can step up any time and play for France. And uh, just a quick word on Sevilla. I mean, uh, you can tell that Barcelona probably have lost a little bit of quality in the transfer market and they have offloaded players uh, for, very, for a very cheap price because they needed to reduce the salary cap. Uh, Semedo was the only player who left for a high price. But Sevilla, actually, this summer, they have kind of strengthened their team. I mean, they have lost uh, Reguilón and Vanega. They are important, yes. But they have signed Rakitic, Acuña, and then two players in the last day, Idrisi and Rekic, um, who make me think that Sevilla is going to apply a little bit of an all-Porto strategy uh, in the sense that uh, they are signing the next Lucas Ocampos and probably the next Kunde uh, before these players leave. Uh, they have signed Idrisi and Rekic for a very uh, affordable price and uh, they are going to strengthen the squad and uh, there are a lot of uh, expectations put especially on Idrisi, the guy uh, who comes from AZ Alkmaar, who happened to score 17 goals last season and I believe that if Sevilla, apart from Luke de Jong and Lucas Ocampos, they've got another player who can score 10 plus goals because I don't think Munir, uh, definitely not Suso, are those players, then they will fight for La Liga. I think that if in this season in which Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico don't look too convincing and if La Liga is won by 85 or less points, Sevilla has a real chance to be fighting for it definitely in mid-April. Wow, OK. Well, they're currently three points behind the leaders, Real Madrid, who had a 2-0 victory at Levante. Barcelona are also three points behind. Both Barcelona and Sevilla have a game in hand though on the Madrileños. Uh, Atletico Madrid, who scored six goals last week, couldn't, as I mentioned before, find a way past Unai Emery's Villarreal uh, this weekend, and they're a couple of points further back. Uh, Were there many questions over the Messi position, though, in the Sevilla game, Alvaro? The biggest thing with Messi now is that he seems to not to be just the player that you will resort to every time you've got that need, in the sense that uh, there are some guys over there in the team, like Philippe Coutinho, and especially Ansu Fati, then they are not, uh, they haven't been taken hostage of the Alexis San- Sanchez syndrome. Alexis Sanchez at Barcelona, he could have been a really good player, but every time he got the ball, he was passing it to Messi because uh, I don't think that he was ready to flourish on his own. And now this season we are seeing that sometimes Barcelona is playing very well despite not having Messi playing his best against Celta. 
Messi in the first half, he didn't do a great game, but Barcelona managed to do a very good performance without Messi. And this is something that is kind of a novelty. And it is very refreshing too. Of course, Barcelona is going to benefit from having a top four Messi just functioning with the team. But uh, I really like the fact that uh, now some players, they are able to operate without him. And I think that this is the yeah probably the most positive thing of Barcelona of this season altogether with the pugnacious style that they are putting on the pitch that they didn't have last season. Excellent. All right, now the Champions League draw news. Real Madrid are in with Shakhtar Donetsk, Inter Milan and Borussia Mönchengladbach. Atletico have Bayern Munich, RB Salzburg and Lokomotiv Moscow. That's a game with exciting precedence itself, isn't it? Alvaro and Rafa, Atletico and Bayern. Yeah, sure that, that Rafa, I don't know if Rafa was still... Well, it was already amongst us, but uh, because that happened in 1974, mm. and but uh, I just, uh, just, yeah, yes, yes. But I think that uh, that is one of the um, one of the games that uh, started creating that uh, fame in Atlético de Madrid of a losing team. Uh, Atlético supporters used to call themselves uh, the vulnerable uh, before Simeone arrived, uh, El Pupas. Uh, and I think that this game started all that legend. Uh, with Atletico de Madrid being only a few minutes away from uh, winning the European Cup in 1974 against the Bayern team that uh, was the core of the German team that won the, the World Cup that summer. And uh, 20 seconds before the end of that game, in the extra time, Atletico was winning 1-0 thanks to a goal from Luis Aragonés. But then uh, something happened and it has been related and it has been explained by former the, the Atletico de Madrid manager at the time, Toto Lorenzo, an Argentinian man, that 20 seconds before that game was over and Atletico de Madrid was going to win the European Cup, mm, a player called Schwarzenbeck took a shot from a really long range, 33, 34 meters, and he scored the goal and he scored the equalizer. And then two days later, he had to be played the replay game. Well, the reason why Reina, the father of Pepe Reina, Aston Villa goalkeeper, considered that goal according to Toto Lorenzo, the manager of Atletico de Madrid, is because he was giving his gloves to the photographer of Marca because he thought that they already won that final. So he let that goal go in, and then Atletico de Madrid drew that game, and Bayern had a replay, and they beat Atletico in the replay. Wow, can you see this in, in the footage at all? Uh, no, you, you can't. You can't. No, no, I've been looking for that. I've been looking for that. Uh, this is... Again, this is the, the word of Toto Lorenzo, Atletico de Madrid uh, manager at the time. There is no reason to think that he was lying. He said that to El Gráfico, an Argentinian uh, very famous magazine, like 25 years ago. And yeah, this is the legend. This is the story. This is how it uh, happened, according to him. Wow. Wow, what a story. And uh, no doubt more historic events to come uh, as the Champions League rolls around in uh, a couple of weeks' time, actually. Uh, with that in mind, next up, let's get the latest on Bayern and the Bundesliga with Rafa. Und jetzt kommt der Pfiff vom Schiedsrichter durchatmen bei Robert Lewandowski. Dreimal hat er schon getroffen. Robert Lewandowski läuft an, kurz verzögert. Und da ist der Ball im Tor. Schmolo hat die Ecke geraten. Er hat sie erahnt, aber Robert Lewandowski mit seinem vierten Treffer. 4 zu 3, die Führung. Zwei Minuten über die Zeit. Sweet sound of Robert Lewandowski banging in the fourth of his quartet for Bayern this weekend as they bounce back from last week's shock defeat in the Bundesliga. Would you call four goals in a game in German, Rafa? Viererpack. Nice. Okay. I mean, yeah. it's a poker in Italy. What about in France, Jules? Quadruple, I think. Quadruple. Yeah, that works. 
Alvaro. Poker for four goals. Re poker for five goals. Ooh, re poker. I like that. Anyway, yeah. all four goals from Robert Lewandowski, the first Bundesliga player in almost 11 years to have 13 shots in a match. And uh, Bayern Do you second... know what uh, Thomas Müller calls him? Oh, no. no, no. Yes, I do. So um, so Bayern then, uh, th- this is good. They also won the German Super Cup midweek over uh, Borussia Dortmund, a 3-2. But uh, if we're going to ask questions about them, which we probably should, is one of them the fact that they're suddenly conceding loads of goals, three, sorry, uh, nine goals in three matches this week alone? That is certainly a question they've been asking themselves. And Bayern... Looking past the result, past the win, to be very critical of themselves. Thomas Müller um, came out and said, mm, you know, maybe after winning all these trophies, it's kind of natural and tempting to stop running just a little bit when you're ahead. But we're not here to do the stuff that's understandable. We're here to do Bayern Munich stuff, um, suggesting that, you know, letting up is just not an option. And they have been a little bit vulnerable. I think it's a result of the game they play and I think there are parallels with Liverpool and maybe even Manchester City if you don't get your your high line and pressing spot on to the kind of 90% rate then you'll be you'll be very open and you'll be you'll be exposed and I think with all these games and a bit of mental fatigue coming in and a lack of rotation because the options have only just been signed over the last couple of days Bayern just looked a little bit stale and just a little bit tired and I think it's good news for the rest of the league because they're certainly not at these invincible levels that we've seen them through most of the, the calendar year at the moment. Mm. The result was against, of course, Hertha Berlin this weekend. I probably should have mentioned that. They were beaten in a shock result the previous week by Hoffenheim. Dortmund, meanwhile, who were themselves defeated by by midweek for the Super Cup, uh, coming up with a 4-0 win over Freiburg with a brace from Erling Haaland. And uh, excitingly... Rafa, over 11,000 fans in attendance at this one. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they had plenty of reason to be excited. It was a good game from Dortmund after 30 minutes where they, they struggled a little bit to open up Freiburg. Gio Reyna had an amazing game the first time a 17-year-old managed to contribute three assists uh, in a game in the Bundesliga. Uh, Haaland was good. He could have scored more, but very uh, unselfish, uh, very selflessly played in Felix Paslak for, for Dortmund's fourth. And yeah, I mean, the classic kind of Dortmund performance, when they're going and when they're playing, they're just beautiful to watch. I mean, easily one of the best teams in Europe on their day. Unfortunately, those days are often followed up by less convincing performances as we saw last week. So hopefully they can maintain this. But certainly with Jadon Sancho staying and, and Reina playing so well and, and even without Sancho on the pitch... On Saturday, Dortmund uh, making ultimately light work out of a team that they have struggled against in recent years. Um, it was a very good week for Dortmund. And of course, they've been run against Lazio, which will see Ciro Immobile coming back to, to Dortmund. Um, the place that he did not enjoy uh, for, for lack of going out for dinner with, with his teammates, famously saying that in Italy he was used to going to restaurants and no one took him out. I mean, the options in Dortmund are limited in the defence of uh, his teammates. There's only one sort of half-decent Italian, but still, I think he's got a point to prove when they meet. Right. Well, he's a player who's come come on in leaps and bounds since that slightly mixed spell uh, there in the Ruhr. A. James, he he was involved in a 
slightly uh, frustrating 1-1 draw with Inter uh, this weekend, uh, one which uh, I mentioned Graham Souness earlier on, but I think he would have taken a dim view of some, some of the, some of the uh, actions in that game. Just... Yeah, it was a very fractious game um, and Immobile was sent off. Um, we saw Arturo Vidal uh, rolling around on the floor, Sergio Busquets star sort of peekabooing. <laughs> and uh, and also, yeah, there was a few slaps uh, doled out here and there. Um, yeah, it was, it, it, it seemed, it was actually kind of, what we've seen quite a lot from Lazio already this season because their, their game against Atalanta in midweek, which they lost, um, was was very kind of bad-tempered. There was a lot of needle between those two teams from yeah, Lazio beating them in the Coppa Italia final and I, I suppose one of the reasons why we're encouraged Atalanta can last in a title challenge this year because last season when they went to the Olympico, they were 3-0 up at half-time which I think it was more or less the same scoreline this time, and they they ended up letting Lazio back in and, and drew three three. And this one they conceded, but they scored again and won four one. But that was bad tempered and uh, Immobile. Yeah, after after winning the golden shoe, uh, as it's known, not the golden boot, uh, ahead of uh, Lewandowski, hasn't had hasn't had a great start to the season so far. Mm. All right, we'll talk more about uh, other Serie A issues and Atalanta a little bit later on. Leipzig are top of the Bundesliga, although no one's got a 100% record there after three games. Leipzig are welcoming Manuel Baum into uh, the, his new position as Schalke manager, taking over from David Wagner, but continuing in much the same uh, vein with a 4-0 defeat for Schalke. Uh, Leipzig are in an interesting Champions League group with Man United, Paris Saint-Germain and Basaksehir, here, of whom more very shortly. But next up, we're going to talk about another of the teams in that group, Paris Saint-Germain and other Ligue 1 news. Jules, France. And of course, there's only one club we can start with. It's Rennes in Chelsea's group in the Champions League and still top of Ligue 1 after a 2-2 draw with Reims. Uh, they're different places, apparently. Right. They are two different places, although your pronunciation was, was pretty good. I mean, it's about Ooh. time after all those years working yeah. together, but... <laughs> Still top. And they had a very interesting uh, last few days of the transfer window. They lost Rafinha, the um, winger who went to Leeds United, who didn't Fish really want chips. to leave. Jules. Fish and chips, of course. Honestly, French people uh, telling us to go F ourselves with fish and chips. I mean, have you, it, it depends on the integrity of the batter. Um, you know, whether, I mean, it would just... Surely Sorry, just, I come late the, to the, the fish the, and the chips most, story. What happened? Uh, <laughs> There's a, a Rennes fan who was clearly very unhappy by the fact that Rafinha was leaving Rennes and the Champions League football to go to Leeds. I think he even said like a, a pointless club, pointless English club or something like that, something really and then said that there's only fish and chips basically in England. And no, but he, didn't he say you can go and come f*** yourselves with fish and chips? Yeah. <laughs> with fish My and God. chips, yeah. Wow, it sounds like he's a pretty special player then. Rafinha, yeah, I mean, he's a good player. He's a good player, and certainly had a really good first season in France. His his uh, expected goals, expected assists were really good, mm. and and yeah, yeah, I think he's quite talented. He's left-footed. He's he's um, he's a very good player, and clearly that fan and a lot of fans at Rennes were a bit unhappy by the fact that he was leaving. There was um, a few stories going around the fact that he didn't want to leave. Uh, but the club, because the offer was so good and because they already had uh, bought his replacement in Jeremy Doku, the very promising Belgian 
young Belgian forwards who is 18, who came from Anderlecht um, for 25 million euros. So, uh, yeah, all in all, that fans was not happy. And Leeds, I thought, well, at least their community manager on, on their Twitter account uh, responded in a, in a very funny way because he posted a photo of fish and chips and said um, something like, don't go, don't, don't go to bed, we might not be done yet or something like that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good. And I think, I think Rennes have certainly strengthened their team, uh, even if they lost their goalkeeper and their, their winger in the meantime. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, he was a, still top of the table. I don't know for how long because they're catching up behind. You know, teams like uh, PSG and, and others. But it was, yeah, certainly a good weekend for them. What can they do in this Champions League group with uh, Chelsea and Sevilla, who Alvaro was just uh, waxing uh, strongly on, and Krasnodar? Um, they're certainly uh, very much the underdogs, and I think they would be very happy with that. Sevilla, as we've seen again this weekend, are obviously a very strong team. Same with Chelsea. And it's the first time ever in the competition. So I think all the players were really excited and, and the manager on French television saying, like, this is amazing. They, I think they wanted really good teams like Chelsea and Sevilla. It's perfect for them. Uh, you know, they, they're hoping that at least a bit of their fans could see their games at home, but they will go with it. Again, I know it's a bit cliche, but with no pressure, they, they're discovering this competition. If they can cause an upset there and there, they will try to do so. But I think third place is certainly the objective and trying to at least continue the adventure in the Europa League, which is a competition that they've been involved in the last two seasons that they know a bit better. So, so they, they will see, but certainly, certainly facing Edouard Mendy again, uh, for example, which is the irony of that draw is that Mendy will, will you know, go back to Rennes. It's fantastic. So they, they were very happy with the draw. Excellent. All right. Marseille are in a group with Man City, Olympiacos and Porto. This weekend they had the Olympique against the Lyon, a 1-1 draw. Lyon themselves not involved in, in Europe and uh, a couple of players not involved in big transfers that were expected to go through from Lyon. Hussein Moir, who didn't join Arsenal, Memphis Depay, who didn't make the journey to Barcelona. Given the fact that they're not in Europe, how, how do they feel about this? And, and what do you think about Marseille's prospects in the City group? I mean, for, for Lyon, they both wanted to leave. They both wanted to go to, to Arsenal and, and Barcelona. I think they, they'd be disappointed in the end. I think Kusamawa knew Arsenal were not going to come back with a better offer for him. He decided to, um, to proactively say that he was staying, that he wanted to have another great year at Lyon. He was the captain in the Olympico on Sunday night, scored the goal on penalty, had the second goal disallowed as well. But he wants to have a great season to go to the Euros with France. He was called up for this week, this first call-up ever. Uh, because he couldn't go last time, so he, he's very excited for Memphis Depay. I think it's it's a bit different because he was he was waiting at the airport to 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 board the plane to go to Barcelona that they, they, they just never called, um, and he only has one year left on his contract. But I think very much for him, it's different for Awa because that's his that's his city, that's his club. For for Memphis, he's always said for the last two years that he wanted to go to a bigger club for bigger things, and now he could have gone with Ronald Koeman and Messi to Barcelona. And, uh, you know, when you wake up the next morning, it's, it's, it can't be a great feeling when you were that close. So it'd be interesting to see. Certainly Memphis was, was a sub on Sunday night. He came on, was very poor. His, his body language was wrong. His attitude was wrong. And I don't know what kind of Memphis Lyon are, are keeping at the club, but um, we will have to see. And, and for Marseille, it's a, it's a big draw for them. It's a tough draw. Uh, again, in the... Romantic stories is AVB going back to Porto and I think he's, he was very happy with that. But 
yeah, I think it would be quite tough for Marseille. Although they, they had an interesting end of their transfer window. We said Bounassar left. They got Michael Cuisance, which they have a lot of hopes for in midfield from Bayern Munich in return, in a way. So we'll have to see what they did. But they were very disappointed on Sunday night. They lost Dimitri Payet very early, who was sent off for a horrid, like really horrible tackle on, on Dubois. But they haven't been playing well at all. And they have to be much better if they, if they want to have any sort of hopes for this Champions League draw. Okay, it was Payet who'd opened the scoring about a quarter of an hour in. It was Awar who equalised from the penalty spot. Creeping up behind, as you mentioned, are teams like Paris Saint-Germain, who are just two points off the top now. They had a spectacular 6-1 win over Angers on Friday, in which Neymar was particularly exciting, pulling off all sorts of bits of skill and jumping over players and all sorts of other things as well. Uh, and also freed of the prospect of any further charges after the racism incident uh, from Le Classique. Yes, you're right. Neither him or Alvaro um, have been punished. I'm not sure how we should take this, uh, but it was certainly the easiest decision for the discipline committee because you don't, you know, you don't... Spiège and Marseille, was, I think it was a very difficult decision for them to take. But yeah, the big story in that Angers, PSG Angers game was that Stéphane Moulin, the Angers manager, during the game towards the end of the game, uh, when his team was already losing 6-1, asked Neymar during play, as in the ball was in play, it was not even like uh, there was someone hurt and you know the game had stopped. It was during the game. He asked Neymar for his shirt. Neymar couldn't hear first, so Neymar had to, to sort of jog back towards Stefan Moulin and, and listen again. And Moulin said, can I get your shirt? And you could clearly hear it on the, on the footage. Uh, and Neymar said, yes, Neymar gave him the shirt. And then Stefan Moulin got absolutely thrashed uh, through the weekend. I just don't think you could do... Th- I, I, I just don't think as a manager you do this. I mean, you represent your club. You cannot ask an opposition player during your game where you're being battered for his shirt. And he, he tried to explain himself by saying, I was a bit impatient. I've got an eight-year-old son who I promised the, his Neymar, the Neymar shirt and I wanted to, to bring him back home for him. And I was like, I don't care what you promised your son. I mean, you do it differently, doing before the game, after the game, you know, sort out with, with PSG before, with Neymar before, but don't make a fool of yourself during a game like this by asking, asking Neymar for his shirt. I thought it was ridiculous. I think it's a sackable offence. I'm astonished that a, a manager would ask an opposition player would address an opposition player with the ball in play while they're playing your side in such a fashion. It's crazy. I think it's really crazy. And it was certainly missed during the game. I don't think any of us, uh, like, or, you know, people following or covering the game really realised it. And it's a bit after that it came to a lot of people's attention. And it's just like, I just thought it was incredible. Mm. What would you call the move that Neymar pulled off where he, he pirouetted past a couple of players and then basically hurdled another one? It's a sombrero, really. But the way he did his sombrero the, is... So that Jimmy Cabot, the, the Angers winger, clattered him just a few minutes a few minutes before. So Neymar said, OK, I'll, I'll have you back, as he does often. But he's, the ball was quite low, and, and he's just like... Just, just almost chip it above Cabot's head. I mean, Cabot is quite short, but still, it was pretty good. And then the ball followed, and then another of the Angers players comes in to try to clatter Neymar, and Neymar just basically made a dummy and let the ball run. The ball nutmeg the other player and Neymar just avoided it by almost jumping over him. He was pretty, he was in, in incredible form for the second game in a row, I have to say, and some of the touches and some of the skills was just incredible. Jules, PSG, one of the busiest clubs on deadline day as well. I was surprised to see Moise Kane 
uh, end up in Paris. And Rafinha, yeah. by the way. And Rafinha as ridiculous well. Ridiculous price. The sort of genesis is that uh, before that Angers game on Thursday, Thomas Tuchel's press conference was very, very critical of Leonardo and the club's recruitment. Re- really strong words to the point that on Friday night after the game, Leonardo responded and you know, continued the, the sort of little war that he has, or at least war of words with Tuchel by saying, this is, I didn't like the comments that Tuchel made. That, that's his own manager. I didn't like the comments. The club didn't like the comment. You know, he will have to learn that he has to, to, to basically accept the decision that I'm making, that the club is making. So between them already, I mean, we knew they were not the greatest of friends, but that, that took that to another level, even with the win. And, and Leonardo, I think, as he often does, you know, we, we say in France that he's a, he's, a, he's a submarine because you don't know anything. Florenzi happens out of nothing. No, new, no one knew. Moise Kane happened. No one knew about it. You know, you, usually sometimes he leaks or sometimes you get, you get a little text and you know something is happening. But with Leonardo, especially this, this, summer trans, this transfer window, he did everything covered and just in, in all secrecy. That is it's pretty impressive. Uh, so Florenzi was the first one. Then obviously Moise Kane. Danilo Pereira as well from Porto, uh, very much under the... Like, no one knew about this one until very late. And, and then Rafinha was probably the latest one. We were told in the afternoon, this is it, we're done. And then around eight o'clock, we started getting news that Rafinha was maybe on his way and they did it in two and a half hours. It was pretty impressive. So we will have to see if Rafinha is any good in that setup. Same with Danilo. Forenzi has already done quite well and Moise Kane to replace two promoting and Cavani, I guess. It's a, it's a bit of a, you know, of a gamble in a way or at least a, a project, but I think he's talented enough if he's the Moise Kane from Juventus to have a big impact in Paris. The Tuchel-Leonardo problem also had an effect on, on Antonio Rudiger not going to Chelsea, yeah. I've been told, because he'd been very keen. Uh, Tuchel wanted him but was just not able to even uh, agree a loan deal because of the situation being increasingly fraught between him and and Leonardo. And it's not looking as if this season is going to go down a very harmonious route between them, Jules. No, you're right. And um, we've said before on the show, didn't we, that Tuchel arrived before Leonardo came back, so he's not Leonardo's guy. And usually sporting directors like to have a manager that they chose that maybe they have a, a special relationship with before, which is not the case. And they're so different. You could not have two, two complete opposite like that, a club in, in such a key position, both manager and sporting director, who you're supposed to, to work together so closely. And I, I just think, I think he, 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 he will finish the season probably unless something really bad happens. But in the league, it's already much better. And then in the Champions League, I think the draw was, was quite, quite kind to them in a way. You know, even if, if it's Manchester United back at the Pan de Prince after everything that happened two years ago and all of that, but I think, and, and Leipzig after the semi-final, but I think PSG should top that group. So I think Tuchel will finish the season, but you know already that the tension between them two is, is quite high. All right, Jules. Well, next up, let's hear about one of the other teams from that Champions League group that uh, PSG are in with Man United and Leipzig. Basak Shahir is their first ever Champions League campaign. Remarkable story, as James was touching on last week. Founded in 1990, Turkish champions this summer. Bottom of the Turkish table, though, a few months later. What's going on there? We'll find out next. Hey, listener, when it comes to football know-how, listening to us three times a week means you should be at the very top of your game. Like Kevin De Bruyne, you can see the play before it happens. So isn't it time that you made some extra coin from all of this? 
Football Index is the way to capitalise on your knowledge of all things on and off the field. Buy shares in the players you think will perform and win dividends when they make an impact on the pitch or in the media. Download Football Index on iOS and Android today and when you enter the offer code TFS20, you'll get a 7-day £500 money-back guarantee. Full terms and conditions are available at trade.footballindex.co.uk slash money-back guarantee. It's 18 plus only and please be gambleaware.org. Become a football stock market trader today with Football Index. Basaksha here. Stunned Turkish football last summer by winning the Super League. A few months on, they're an equally stunning last. Why? And with a list of uh, players over the years that's included Dembaba, Rubinho, and the Turkish president, what can we look forward to seeing in their lineup come October's Champions League clashes? Well, to answer those questions and more, let's join our Turkish correspondent, Yuri Yamali. Yuri, you were on a couple of months ago explaining the incredible success of Basaksha here. Can you now explain the tumultuous descent to the bottom of the table? They didn't have a great start, uh, to say at least, uh, James. Yeah, it's 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 really amazing what they're doing. Like that, it, it, they lost the first three games, and now the this weekend they uh, had their first point. They didn't lose a lot of the players, uh, uh, not from the starting eleven. Uh, they had some add-ons, so it's really a miracle for everybody who's following in Turkish football what has happened this during this uh, this summer. So they've got Skirtle there still, Vizca still there, and I said Chadley, Dembabar, Rafael da Silva is also now now with them. You, you say it's a miracle. It, am I right in thinking that there'll be a lot of fans, particularly in Istanbul, celebrating uh, what's happened to Basak Shehir? Well, the, the the major clubs in Istanbul, they have a, a lot of their own problems. So there's not much room for celebration. As you may have seen, uh, Galatasaray have lost again this weekend. Besiktas had a terrible week this weekend. So there's not really much room to, to find some joy within the decline at Basakshi. But the, the, it's mostly a miracle because their uh, fixture was really easy. In the first three weeks, they lost against two uh, promoted sides. So that's really terrible, I think. Part of the reason that they were able to achieve their remarkable success so quickly was the kind of patronage, I guess, of, of politicians, including uh, Erdogan, but also the fact that I, I didn't realize this, they're actually owned by a government ministry. Has there been some change in, in the emphasis on Basakshir or, or is it just a, a, an early season quirk? I think it's an early season quirk because uh, uh, the, the, the ministry and the politics is still in place. So nothing has changed about that. I really think it's, 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 it's just some problems from, from the new season. A lot of clubs are having problems due to, yeah, how do you say it, uh, uh, difficult times during the pandemic within the Champions League. They didn't, uh, the, the, the drawing was a little bit harsh, I think, with the Paris Saint-Germain, United and Leipzig. So I, I, don't, I don't see how they come out of this. Right. So uh, RB Leipzig currently top of the Bundesliga, Paris Saint-Germain heading to the top of Ligue 1. Uh, Man United are having similar problems to Pasakshi here, not not quite in the relegation zone yet, but not far off it uh, after their defeat this weekend. What what do you think Pasakshi here can offer in in the two games against uh, the Red Devils? Yeah, I think if if the draw was different, that they opened the game against United, then maybe it could be some uplifting game because of the state that United is in now. But now you have Leipzig, and then they have a, 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 a difficult period also in the in the in the league. So I I see them continue losing for a couple of weeks more. So I think still United will be a big favorite in this uh, in these two games. 
Yoda Yamali. I mentioned that Group H is the group of death for some, but Alvaro, you beg to differ. Yeah, I think Group B is the most difficult one for everyone involved in it. I mean, Real Madrid, uh, mm-hmm. who are far from the team that won the Champions League in 2017-2018. We had Borussia Mönchengladbach as well. Uh, they were very efficient in last Bundesliga season. They came fourth and they were better than Bayer Leverkusen that finished fifth. So I think that that group, the one with Real Madrid, uh, Inter Milan, Borussia and Shakhtar Donetsk is the most difficult group in the Champions League group stage. I was just going to say, but the, the best group remains the um, for the football purist like all of us here, has to be the Liverpool, you know, Ajax, Atalanta and, and Michelin group, which mm. this one is going to be absolutely incredible. Absolutely. We'll talk about uh, Atalanta in a little bit. Quick quick shout out for the Europa League. It's happening too, everybody. Arsenal are in it. They're going to be taking on Rapid Vienna, Muldit and Irish champions Dundalk, who uh, celebrated their qualification by sacking their manager and bringing in uh, Italian uh, Mr. Filippo Giovagnoli. Do you know him, James? No, I I don't know Giovagnoli. Okay. Um, sounds like a musician I'd listen to, but... Uh, nice. No. All right, then. Uh, Tottenham have Ludogorets uh, uh, Lance, or Lask, you know, Lintz from, you know, the Austrian <laughs> side, them. Antwerp are also in that group. Leicester have drawn Braga, AK Athens, and Zoria Luhansk, you know, from the Ukraine. And Rangers, having uh, beaten Galatasaray, will be taking on Benfica, Standard Liège and Lech Poznan. Exciting. Celtic, meanwhile, who last year finished top of a daunting group containing Lazio, Rennes and Cluj, this time got another tough draw with Lille, Sparta Prague and the Rossoneri. AC Milan back in Europe. James, they, they scraped by Rio Ave in an incredible game last week to be here, but they're absolutely flying in Serie A. Yeah, they are. Um, they were part of that, what, uh, exercise in magical realism that was uh, Thursday night's game <laughs> under a deluge in uh, in uh, Porto, where they, uh, what, 24 penalties. Uh, basically, everyone took one, including the goalkeepers who missed. Um, there's one who hit both posts with one penalty. Um, I think Rio Ave had three chances to basically win that game in the penalty shootout and didn't take it. Um, but Milan, you know, even with uh, Zlatan, for example, in quarantine, um, with uh, Alessio Romagnoli, their captain, out injured. Um, yeah, this is uh, a really good start to the season. Yeah, they've 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 got maximum points. They haven't conceded a goal yet. I think to find a Milan team that had won their first three games. Uh, without shipping a single goal, you have to go back all the way to the 1970s. Um, and it's a super young side as well. The average age against uh, Spezia at the weekend was 22, hmm. um, which I think is the youngest since uh, Opta started keeping records on these kind of things. Yeah, I mean, you can look at their start of the season and say they played against teams that they should beat. Spezia, Cotone, two of the promoted sides, and uh, and Bologna. Uh, but to be honest, last year they had a really easy start to the season. They completely messed it up. Um, so I think it's encouraging that they've um, got nine points from nine going into the international break and they'll have Zlatan back uh, once it ends as well. So uh, pretty positive, I must say, at Milan. And the, the first game back after the international break, what is it? It's the, the Derby della Madonnina. Mm, so nice. Should be good. Joint top with them currently in Serie A are Atalanta, who this week had a quiet uh, 5-2 victory over Cagliari. 
They had 98 goals in Serie A last season. They've got 13 in three games so far. If they keep current scoring rates up, they'll hit 150. And you wouldn't rule it out, not even with dinner on the line. No. Well, I think everyone's wise to how good they are now. I mean, 4-2 against Torino, 4-1 against Lazio, 5-2 against Cagliari. Um, And the fears that this team would be broken up haven't materialised at all because they've only lost Timothy Castagna, who was there who's done very well, as we've seen at Leicester, uh, if you've got him in your fantasy team, but was the backup to Hans Hattibur and Robin Gosens on the, uh, in the wing-back positions for, for Atlanta. And they've just got stronger and stronger and stronger. They've got so much depth now. And um, if you look at... Uh, I wrote about this in my piece for The Athletic after the transfer deadline closed, but they've made €142 million Euros from players who have, have made just 12 Serie A starts for them. You know, Alessandro Bastoni... Uh, Dejan Kulusevski, Rodri Banez and Musa Barrett and now Ahmad Diallo Traore who's, uh, who will be joining United in, in January um, and that you know, combined with qualifying for the Champions League in back-to-back years and, and reaching the final eight as they did um, just enables them to keep doing what they're doing Who have United bought exactly? It's <laughs> a good it's a good question, James. Uh, Ahmed Traore is one of their, uh, the stars of, of, of their youth team, which is another reason why people were so encouraged that they could keep um, sustaining uh, what they're doing because their under-19s have won Serie A for the last two years in a row. Um, they did really well in the youth league, UEFA youth league last year, and you got knocked out by Lyon, who, as we all know, have one of the best academies in in Europe. And, and Traore was seen as the, the best player um, on that team, someone who can play as a winger, um, which, to be honest, when when I saw United were were signing them, signing him, I, I thought, wow, they've got their they've got their youth scouting uh, organised. I mean, to be honest, I mean, you don't, it, it, it's it's not a hidden gem. Yeah, I think most people know that this kid has uh, has been destined for for, for, for big things. For, for sometimes he he's already made his debut and said he has scored on his debut in what a seven nil win that Atlanta had against Udinese. Um, it's quite an interesting case with him as well. In that uh, in June there was a, uh, an investigation launched in Parma um, uh, about um, kind of people trafficking and as and uh, it's yeah there was there were allegations made as to whether. Um, the people who claim to be his parents really are his parents. I think that investigation is uh, it's still ongoing, um, and it's the same with his um, uh, with Hamid Traore as well, the midfield player at, uh, at Sassuolo. So um, I believe that that investigation is 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 continuing at the moment, but definitely one of the the hottest prospects in youth football in uh, in Italy. All right. What are Atlanta's prospects in that Champions League group with Liverpool, Ajax and Michelin? Well, to be honest, I mean, I looked at the, the way the fixtures go. They play Michelin away first uh, and then they play Ajax at home. And then there's the double header with Liverpool, which starts at home. So in, in, in some respects... Will they actually you know, pick up points in the first three games this time, do you think? <laughs> well, I think this is uh, what Atalanta... Um, say is the big difference with last year is that that whole experience um, has just made them so much more confident, so much more aware of their own strength. It's why they've started the season in the way that they've done. Um, because I think in two of the three games, if in the corresponding fixtures last year, they actually dropped points or lost those games, particularly against Cagliari, they lost at home. Um, so I think yeah, they'll be better, better served for that experience. 
and I think actually the fixtures work for them as well. In in, in Mitchelland, who are a talented team, very well run, um, but the the team you'd expect them to get points against. They play them away from home first, then Ajax at home. Ajax have you know I mean that team that they had that reached the semi-finals what remained of it last season has now gone i'd i'd say in dest ziek and van der beek have, have have gone so interesting to see how they're rebuilding and then the double header against liverpool starts at the garris garris stadium which is they they won't be playing san siro this time around they'll be playing in bergamo so i think in some respects it's set up quite nicely for them in terms of in terms of fixtures right it'll be easier for the visiting fans as well because that's where they'll be flying to yes um, right. <laughs> Uh, sorry, <laughs> Alvaro. No, I, I was going to say that Midtjylland is not such a bad team. I mean, as it may look like. I mean, they they kicked out um, Slavia Prague from the Champions League playoffs, uh, beating them four one, and uh, they produced a very impressive performance that time. So, really, they are not like uh, one of these teams that you got the three points guaranteed against. Right. Oh no, I, yeah, I wasn't saying that. I, I I just think of of the four, they're obviously the team from pot four. Um, and I think to if you aspire to get through this group, you have to you have to beat the team that comes out of pot four. Um, so you know, I mean, in terms of their analytics based approach and their yeah how how much they love a set piece, they will be a threat. But uh, I think in some respects, if you start against them, okay, that's better than starting against Liverpool <laughs> for sure. All right, well, Champions League action will be getting out of the way from the. 20th of October, so not long now. Nations League is back this week. And very shortly, we'll touch on some of the big questions there, like what's going to happen when the world champions take on the European champions and can Germany win a Nations League match? First, though, let's get some odds from Lee Price. Hello, everyone. First off, I'd like to start with an apology. I actually have quite a long list of numbers to read you today. Oh, wait, don't go... Ah, oh, well... Never mind. It's far more intimate this way. Let's start with the Europa League, just in case anyone has skipped forward and doesn't want to miss the good stuff. Three of the four favourites of this competition are English, with Arsenal and Spurs 7-1 to joint favourites. Yes, really. Uh, Leicester are priced at 11-1, to just behind AC Milan. I'd tell you where the Scottish sides are ranked, but sadly, I can't count that high. Um, lazy digs aside, Rangers have been pretty good so far this season, haven't they, in the Europa League? And we fancy them to make it through the group stages. They're second favourites to win Group D. Uh, and therefore we think they'll finish second and get to the knockout stages. And that'll be a good result. Celtic, however, are third in the betting of their tricky group. While all three English sides are odds on to top their respective sections. Do you like how I uh, avoided saying win their groups again there? Yeah, but I wasn't confident enough not to explain just in case, was I? Speaking of misplaced confidence, each of the English teams in the Champions League are odds on to qualify from their groups. Which means if you put them all together in an accumulator, all the gambling buzzwords today, you get odds of evens that it happens. So 50-50. The sort of challenge which will terrify a Man United defender. Either that or Neymar and Mbappe. Yikes. At least they sold cheaper promoting. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Nations League, everybody. Who's everybody got? France. Ooh, there's a friendly with Ukraine, then Portugal, then away at Croatia. Spain, Portugal in a friendly, then Switzerland, and then at Ukraine. Germany have Ukraine and then Switzerland. Italy not playing Ukraine, strangely. They've got Poland, woof, Lewandowski, and then they're at home 
to Netherlands. All right, lots to talk about there. Not much time to do it in, but a couple of quick points then. Rafa, first of all, Germany. A first ever Nations League win? Could it happen against Ukraine? <laughs> I think they have a chance, uh, James. I think they have a chance. Um, they should. They should be. They should beat Ukraine. Um, but keep Shevis, an eye on the Shevis on the Switzerland. Ukraine. Yeah, mm. but keep an eye on the Switzerland game because uh, breaking news: Sharon Shakiri has tested positive for COVID Ooh. while with the Swiss team. And he's had a lot of contact, apparently, with uh, Swiss comms people, etc. And that is a story that might still develop. So we'll have to see what kind of Switzerland will we'll be able to turn up. I hope, of course, as many as possible um, from from the the regulars. But Germany had had this huge problem playing them last time around. So they need they need any help they can get. Well, this kind of brings us on to uh, something I referenced back at the start, which is the curious idea that with teams going into lockdown, as we've heard, with with players testing positive and then, say, a week later, the rest of their squad also coming up with multiple positives. The notion that it's in any way a wise course of action to stick some of those players on airplanes and then fly them to other areas of the globe to mix with teams for, players from other teams, is it, it just seems extraordinary that we're going ahead with all of this. It sounds like one or two of these fixtures may not actually get to be played if, if that situation develops, but it's remarkable. I mean, leaving aside the whole question of fixture congestion, which would already make Nations League a bit of a, a rum idea, just from a health point of view, it just seems the worst thing you could possibly uh, decide to do. Well, I'm not sure there's a huge difference whether you fly from, you know, Berlin to Istanbul or from Berlin to Frankfurt mm. or inside Istanbul. I mean, supposedly those players are in the bubble. I mean, I don't see why that why the travel itself is necessarily uh, another risk. I mean, we, but it's we might the mixing see some games. Sorry, I was just going to say it's it's the mixing. Say, for example, Genoa players have been involved with the Italy's squad uh, the week after they'd lost to to, to Napoli. Uh, they would have still have been flying to those games, and then the Italy squad and all the teams represented there. It's the way that you can have this kind of exponential spread because you've got players from so many different clubs clustered together in a new town. And then, then presumably taking anything back to theirs. Am I um, possibly I'm misunderstanding? I mean, it's it's possible, but I think so far since the restart, we haven't seen those super spreading events inside teams. Yes, some teams were more affected than others, but by and large, correct me if, you, if I'm wrong, guys. Uh, whenever players have been identified, uh, they've been able to isolate them pretty quickly, and the rest of the teams, the big teams, haven't been affected. Well, Genoa would be the the the, uh, the exception to that. Yeah, Genoa's the big concern, um, partly because of uh, isolate the two guys who tested positive, um, test everyone again, everyone tests negative, go play the game, and then the day after the game, 13 people test ne- test positive, and then more over the course of the week test positive. Um, yeah, I think that's why that outbreak uh, is a bit of an alarm bell um, for, for because Genoa's game was then postponed against Torino um, on, on Saturday. I think that that is it's going to be very interesting to see whether that is just a, a, a complete aberration um, and uh, doesn't happen again, or if that is is a sign of of, of things to come. Mm. All right. Well, in terms of football being played, then France Portugal looks pretty tasty, Jules. It is. It, it does, James. You're right. I mean, we talking about Shakiri. We also had a, a a case in France with Adrien Rabiot who didn't test positive, but was a, a contact case. 
Uh, I think someone really close to him got tested positive, so he won't be involved against Ukraine in that friendly on, on Wednesday night, but should be back for the Portugal game. And, um, and this time, compared to, to, to last month, uh, Paul Pogba will be uh, probably in the team. Um, we will have also Eduardo Camavinga, who is still there, Usain mm. So there's a lot of creative players there for, for Deschamps to pick from. Olivier Giroud, who plays 100th cap at some point, either against Ukraine or Portugal or Croatia. And 100th cap is a hell of an achievement, I think, for Giroud. Um, so there yeah, could be a lot of things happening, and especially that little revenge against the, um, the European champions after the final in 2016. I mean, they've played each other since, but it's always a, a special game. OK. And another 4-2 against Croatia. Probably Italy, big games. Up against Lewandowski, as we mentioned. Uh, away at Poland and then at home to Netherlands who they got that uh, excellent result against last time James yeah not just an excellent result but uh, a really good performance as well it was uh, I think a return to form for uh, for Italy under Mancini after you know, their their first game back was a bit of a disappointment you could tell that they they hadn't been together for what nine months or something like that when they'd been on that incredible uh, unbeaten winning run uh, as well so keen to see what Mancini does whether he, he plays the same midfield that we saw for example against uh, against the Netherlands because Locatelli was uh, was superb um, in that game and I suppose Poland will be a little bit uh, depreciated in well, in in, uh, in skill and ability because some of their best players play for Napoli and they're, they're, they're not going to be allowed to travel. The likes of Zielinski, the likes of, uh, of Arkadius Milik uh, as well. So, um, yeah, g- g- Italy also playing Moldova randomly. They've, mm. they've put, they're, they're, they're sticking three, three, three games in this international break. So. Everybody, yeah, everybody has three games now. Yeah. Right. Uh, Spain, for example, have Switzerland and Ukraine in their nations group. And Portugal themselves, that's Tuesday night. That's a nice way to kick things off. It's only a friendly, but is it ever friendly between these two Iberian nations, Alvaro? No, it's never a friendly between them. And I believe that uh, the rivalry goes uh, beyond uh, the, that the fact that they are neighboring countries. Also Cristiano Ronaldo played in La Liga. And he always likes to shine against Spain. So I'm expecting a really tough battle against the Portuguese. And uh, just uh, a note on coronavirus, too. Uh, the Spanish national team has been affected. Uh, Thiago Alcantara, as you know, he tested positive uh, while at Liverpool. He is not part of the squad. Fabian Ruiz, the Napoli player, he couldn't travel to uh, to be with the Spanish camp for that reason, too, because uh, there is an outbreak uh, over there uh, at the Napoli uh, squad, too. So... Spain won't be playing with their probably two most creative midfielders. And uh, I think that uh, it will be a good game to clear out some doubts. Like, for example, who is the defender who is going to pair up with Sergio Ramos. Uh, Also, Adama Traore will probably have his first uh, game with the Spanish national team, which is good because he was called by Mali too last week. He could choose between teams. And I think that this time he will play with Spain and that... uh, doubt about whether he will play with Mali or Spain will be completely over forever. One note as well about the Atletico de Madrid players, Saul and Coque. I mean, they haven't been in the squad for Coque for more than a year, Saul for a few games. There are no representatives of, of Atletico in the Spanish squad, which is something that uh, is quite telling as well about uh, what Luis Enrique wants and about uh, Atletico de Madrid midfielders or players are asked for, which is totally something totally different of uh, what Luis Enrique wants uh, for his players. 
So, yeah, I think that it's going to be interesting. Spain looked really good against Ukraine. They looked promising against uh, Germany back in September. And these games can only consolidate uh, Luis Enrique's project. Brilliant. All right. Well, we'll have a look at how all those games go when Totally Football Show returns on Monday morning. That wraps up for today's European edition, though. Thank you for being with us, listener. Thank you as well, Alvaro, Jules, Rafa and James Horncastle. It's been lovely being with you all. We'll catch up with you soon, listener, for now. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.